The InvinoFab podcast brings meaningful conversations to our community of listeners. Part of this is sharing stories with and by our friends like Telesom, who want to bring meaningful experiences to you. At Telesom, we're on a mission to create meaningful work for sommeliers, meaningful connections for wine lovers, and to change the face of wine. For this season of InvinoFab, we're honored to raise a glass with sommeliers who want to share their wine secrets and knowledge with you. For this season of InvinoFab, we're collaborating with Telesom to fill your cup and your ear with sommelier stories uncorking the wine tales. This is part two with a Q&A with Katerina Anderson. If you've not heard her Telesom Psalm story, pause this episode and go back into your feed and listen to that one first. This one, we'll dive into a Q&A and learn all the interesting wine tips and tricks we want to know from our sommelier. What is your favorite food and wine pairing? I really liked Verdecchia and uh, Verdecchia is a white wine from Puglia and uh, mozzarella. I, not, I want mozzarella now. Okay, when you're not drinking <laughs> wine, what's in your cup? Uh, I think either coffee or water. And do you have any pets and what is their favorite wine? I don't have any pets now. Uh, I had a lot of cats growing up. I think their favorite wine would probably be cats are a bit uh, egoistic and, and <laughs> difficult. So it would probably be a wine that is hard to make. What would it be? <laughs> Sagrantino, perhaps. Sagrantino, I think, is a bit hard with the tannins. So if I was to ask you, what does your sommelier life pair well with, what would that be? Fill in the blank. I think having fun. And what are your top three wines? And what does that say about you? Uh, my top three wines is probably uh, Sangiovese, like in uh, Chianti Classico. Nero di Troia, which is Puglia. And then I think Nebbiolo, but from Valtellina, not from Piemonte. So probably we'll have a lot of criticism for that. But <laughs> <laughs> so what do those three wines say about you then? I think Sangiovese, well, it's like, I'm in Tuscany, so it's home now. It's where I live since 20 years. So it feels a bit like, you know, my second identity, my second home. Uh, Nero di Troia, because it's very elegant, but still it's it's also a place that I've gotten to know a lot in, in the last few years. And people are really good to me there. And uh, I feel very fortunate about that. Uh, so I'm, I'm very kind of flattered, but also kind of happy that I'm so liked in Puglia for what I write and for what I do. So I think, if I could have a third home, that would probably be Puglia. And I think all the friendship is what I kind of associate with Nero di Troia. Uh, Nero di Troia is not an easy grape, but still it has a lot of elegance. And I think Puglia also has a lot of elegance that people perhaps doesn't see at first. They see more the, the fun-loving, you know, sun, beach. Uh, but I think the people are very kind of, you know, goal-oriented and but also elegant as people and uh, of course very friendly uh, then the Valtellina um, I think I also just like Nebbiolo because it's it's so good I, I think Nebbiolo is, a, is one of the best grapes out there 
because it has a bit of everything. And I think the fact that you can have Nebbiolo is in basically three different, uh, there, there are like three or four different words for, for Nebbiolo, and one of them is, uh, is in Valtellina. And I think also there, it's like the, the combination, I'm not a mountain person, but I like that it's very kind of also rural, even if it's so close to, to Milan. So yeah, I don't really have why what it says about me, but probably it says something about that I still have a longing for the north, <laughs> even if I'm not living in Sweden anymore. So I think that might be it, that that northern Italy is still kind of somehow alluding back to 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 the north of Europe or so. Your I home. think I talked a bit too much, but you can. No, just no, your home, your home near your home, your home, your former <laughs> home. I like that. Um, wh- what's something that most people get wrong about? your line of work being a sommelier? I got one thing there because when I was back in Sweden, uh, so my mother, she she celebrated her 80th birthday a couple of years ago. And then I was there and I was like, oh, but you know, you're a sommelier, so you should do all the kind of, you know, setting of the table, how you do at the big important dinners, you know, with all the, the glasses, the cutlery and everything. And I was just like, but I'm a sommelier. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but I have never served. I have never worked in a restaurant. I mean, you know that. And and, uh, and then I was thinking like, okay, so so what do people outside of Italy or outside of the wine world think that the sommelier do? I mean, I don't know. So probably they thought like, if you're a sommelier, you should also know everything, you know, like a waiter or waitress. Mm-hmm. Probably you do if you work in a restaurant, but if you don't work as a sommelier other than, you know, serving at, at events I don't think you know all that unless you're really interested in it and uh, I don't know if that's probably it, it was perhaps only me who is ignorant I don't know but I, I just felt very taken aback it was like ask me about wine but don't ask me about you know <laughs> so I had to kind of google it because I didn't want you know <laughs> to look completely stupid so I had to google it and <laughs> yeah and can you tell us what you're known for on the Telesom app and if there's, you ever got an interesting customer review? I think I'm known for knowing a lot about Italian wine. I think I got a really, I was, I got a really good review. The last thing I did, even if they even asked me, I mean, there were a lot of people from US, uh, Scandinavia, because I think they were relatives or something. So they had relatives like in Germany, Austria, I think Finland, Sweden. And then the, the person who ordered it was in the US. So they asked a lot of things and I, I felt a bit like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Because they wanted kind of wines they could find similar to each other in, in every country. And I realized that then they said like, you know, that, that I had so much knowledge and I felt like, I felt I didn't know anything, but <laughs> because when they asked a lot of questions, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. So, so I kind of, I had to kind of think about like, I think it could be like this. Okay. And, and then I was like, so I talked a lot about the, the grapes and, and the wines, but it is true. Probably about Italian wine, I can't talk a lot, probably out of passion, but also probably out of knowledge of, from all my travels. So that's true. So I think also from Vanessa, she thinks, you know, that I'm the kind of, go-to person for Italian wines um, because I think there's not that many others on the app who who do specifically Italian wines. What's an interesting experience you had on the app that you could share with our listeners? You're like, well, what would a tasting with Katerina be like? I can say that I haven't had that many tastings because it's a bit difficult with the time zones. 
And I don't have, I mean, I, I have a lot of network in, in the US, but mainly kind of wine professionals. So I don't have like groups I can like other people get together and then sign up. So I, I haven't done that many tastings. So it sounds like uh, you're available. Should anyone listening yes, want to talk <laughs> about Italian wine is what I'm picking up on. Okay, that's good. But I think in general, uh, when I did, I did a couple of them. And I think that people were really interested in knowing more, you know, to know more uh, about things that they can't find in in uh, in the U.S. Mm. And they like to to know more also about like the region the wine is from, uh, not only about the wine, but also like, you know, how the people are, the, the history, the traditions. So I think that's what they asked me a lot about. Great. Now, I was just wondering if you had any wine facts that you maybe and you have a lot of knowledge so i'm sure there's like something in in there that you like you'd like to share about whether it's the region or things that people don't know that sommeliers do so is there anything like you this is kind of like the myth busting or debunking or taking the snooty out of sommelier i guess is the idea so is there anything you want to like share with our listeners about a random fact that you learned i think actually that that sommelier is a is a I think in, in the US, they have probably many more working as sommelier than they have in, in Europe because it takes uh, restaurants and, and places with a certain level of clientele to have, to be able to afford to have a sommelier. So I think, I think it's a very exclusive job. I think it's a fantastic job. If you can work as a sommelier full time, I, I think that's, that's great. Uh, I think that there is not that many who do that. And I think perhaps a lot of people don't know that just because you study to become a sommelier doesn't mean that you have a job as a sommelier. I think another thing I would like to say probably is about Tuscany and, and Chianti because there was just a tasting. Uh, so every year they have the preview of the new vintages. Basically almost all wine areas in Italy. So they release the, the vintages they release every year. It can be the vintages previous vintage or it can be that they have aged a bit longer so they, they release a vintage that is perhaps from three or four years earlier uh, and then they have like tastings for the press and, and for the trade people and uh, due to the COVID uh, the Chianti Classico which is kind of one of the main consortiums in Tuscany had the tasting uh, last week and also the other smaller consortiums but what I want to say there, because I also realize still when I, when I read comments uh, on social media and also in articles, that there is still a difficulty, and I think that's Italy in general, but so you have two consortiums, which is Chianti and Chianti Classico, and they're completely separate. So Chianti Classico has a really good brand because they've been working a lot, uh, investing a lot in it. Uh, Chianti also has a brand, but it's a bit more kind of... Uh, sometimes a bit vague because the area is very big. So basically, this is very confusing. So Chianti is the geographical area <laughs> that expands a, a big territory. So the historical area of the Chianti, that was the area that was formed in the medieval ages politically, is today the area of the Chianti Classico. The Chianti area, <laughs> is uh, which is called Chianti, but it's not the historical Chianti area, <laughs> which is the Chianti Classico, it's uh, basically all the rest where you can be produce Chianti wine being a part of the Chianti consortium. So this is 
completely confusing and nobody understands it. So still I realized that that when we were tasting Chianti Classico last weekend, people were still replying to me, oh, I always love a Chianti wine. I was thinking like, should I correct them or should I not correct them? Now, okay, it's a bit, you know, not nice to correct them. But because I think that now people start to get it a bit, but it is very confusing. And I think this is kind of part of Italy too, also to have a lot of names, a lot of, you know, it's confusing also for an Italian, but that was kind of a, of a wine thing I just wanted to. <laughs> I don't think I made any clarity in it, but it, because it's confusing to explain also. But so what we've learned is Italians like to confuse things even for themselves. Yes. Not even just the extra. I believe that to be true, actually, growing up as an Italian myself. What the wine that has the rooster on it? That's yeah. the Chianti Classico, yeah. Classico, okay. I, th- I don't think they want to confuse. I think they just get so into their passion, so they kind of... Okay, so let's break it down. If you're drinking a Chianti, it's not really from Chianti. Is this true? It's from Tuscany, but it's from the outer side, outer part of the Chianti area, but it's not from the historical Chianti area. So the historical Chianti area that was set up by the, the Medici family in the med- medieval ages, uh, or the even before the Medici family, I think, uh, was called the Lega del Chianti, and then thus the area was called Chianti. And today that is Chianti Classico with the black rooster. The rest of the area, which is, can be everything from uh, Pisa to Arezzo to Siena. The part of Siena that is not, it can still be also a bit almost bordering to the Chianti Classico area is Chianti. So it's a completely different consortium. It's very confusing. Yeah, this is why I'm coming to you as the expert in this area. (laughs) Um, No, this is great. So it sounds like a lot of your work is interesting because you wrap in history yourself as a a PhD in history, and you're kind of translating and translating, not only in language, but in wine talk to folk. Are there any kind of like things you go to to learn more about this uh, in, in your ongoing quest for knowledge for Italian wine? So I try to... I mean, there's always a lot to read, but there's also, I try to to read as much, not only about the wineries, but I also try to read kind of, of course, you know, newspapers and journals. Uh, but I think another thing is also to talk to people. So, I mean, sometimes when I don't understand a thing, I kind of ask someone I know, like an analogist, uh, because sometimes you, you need to hear it, you know, because it, even if I read it, I might not understand what it means, you know, practically. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, and I, I realize also here that there's there's a translation also, a cultural translation. And I was actually talking about this in a, the other day. I mean, he's a, one of the the main, uh, I think, well-known journalist in Italy, Giampaolo di Ravina, he has written several books. And we were talking because I think he's writing a, a book on, on uh, a future book on, on the, the language of wine. And I also listened to the, the Wine Writers Symposium. And I think this is actually an interesting thing to, to culturally translate wine because so at the Wine Writers Symposium, they were talking, you know, about the history of, of wine language, mm-hmm. but from an English and Anglo-Saxon point of view. And I think, as somebody here said, but then, you know, some of the wine words are born in the English, 
Mm-hmm. But the concept is born in Italian or in Italy or in France. And now, for example, they make wine also in, in Sweden and in Norway, where, you know, until 20 years ago, wine language didn't exist because nobody made wine in those countries, which means that when I was still living in Sweden, there, there didn't exist a word for winery, like, you know, the wine cellar where you make the winery, which now I've learned they call like the... The, the, the how do you say the factory of wine interesting, interesting. That's but for really me it's, it's very strange because okay a factory like also in Italian fabrica like they told me can also mean like you know a workshop in some sense but it's also a bit more have also the more industrial connotation so I think language is actually interesting and uh, yeah I think there's a lot to study and, and I think I try to uh, understand, I think that is actually a point. I think I try to always understand so how Americans or how UK people, how they're talking about wine. And sometimes, so most of the parts, I understand them as I understand the Scandinavians. And sometimes I don't, because sometimes I realize I'm so in how they think here that it becomes, but then, you know, you have, so it's interesting. I don't know. Probably you have to be a vehicle of, of translation of, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like traveling the wine lands also lends you to the language, but it's also wrapped in culture. And these are words yeah. and things that we've taken for granted of and co-opted in different pl- parts of the world, I'm guessing. But so that's fascinating to hear because when you say workshop, I'm like, we're also working out the problem right now. We're workshopping <laughs> yeah. the problem of language and it's the crafting. Like, so how we use language is so interesting. So I love that you're making that available um, in this mode and modality virtual now. And so, and also writing about it and streaming about it, because I think there's so many different like layers of wine. So this wine has lots yeah, of legs. I, I don't think there's like one way to look up on wine. I don't think there's one kind of wine to like. I think everybody can like wine and it's okay. I mean, okay. Like somebody told me like, okay, but you have to still, it's still important to study and have knowledge. And I said, and I think that's of course important, but everybody doesn't need to be super knowledgeable about wine. It's also important to just like wine, you know, (laughs) and of course I have to read up more. Like, you know, I read a lot, but as I said, I also like to listen and, you know, talk to people and then try to understand but it's not like you know everybody have have to do that and i i don't think that you have to describe a wine according to these parameters that has been kind of constructed for sommeliers mm-hmm. because that's also a sort of language that is more mechanical that didn't exist i guess up until i don't know the 60s 70s or 80s when it became more kind of a a formal, uh, professional form of expression. And I think there is also the fact how you rate wines, that you do lists of wines, top top lists of wines, so that the, the first on the, on the list is the most expensive wine. And I was like, why? Why would, uh, you know, because it's top of the list probably because, you know, out of marketing reasons. Right. Um, there's a lot of factors that goes in. It's probably a really good wine, but there's also a lot of other factors, in my opinion, that goes into why it's number one or number two or number three. So why does it have to be more expensive than 
I mean, I understand that it has to be more expensive. I'm not saying that, but I think there's still a lot of things to to think about. And I, I think also that you can describe a wine with simple words, with with your own thoughts, without having to to follow a kind of you know a sommelier list. Of course, you have to follow that those parameters if you do wine judging or if you do kind of more formal tastings, but. Uh, if it's more uh, to enjoy wine, you know, even if you're at a tasting with a group, you don't have to be that formal, in my opinion. Mm. That's great. <laughs> I like it. Katarina, thank you for sharing a little bit about it. I'm, I'm going to link to all the good things you're doing in your grape adventures, because I think there's not one way to Psalm is what I'm taking from this conversation. And I think that's kind of cool. And Maybe I do want to be a sommelier because I thought there was one one way to be a sommelier, but this seems more fascinating and intricate. And I think there is a lot of ways, and I think probably the the sommelier education should could also kind of probably you know incorporate different levels or different mm-hmm. sides. I think, of course, if you want to work as a sommelier, it's important to know you know the whole um, practical and then you know service part which I also have done. I, I, I'm not very good at it, but I've, I've done it for the test. <laughs> for our listeners, can you tell them what the practical is? Like you actually have to serve and... Yes, how to serve, how to open the bottle, you know, in which order. There's like a whole ceremony for how to do it and mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> and how to stand when you're kind of... And who to serve first at the table and, and you know, there's a hierarchy and... and and I, I don't think I remember it anymore, but no, I think it's like, so it's the, the most, either the oldest or with the highest level of, so like if there's a clergy or something, they go before age, I think, or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> but I love how you've, kind of you've gone to story instead of like the, the actual yes. practical. You said, I'm going to tell the story about it then. I think that's good. Yes. Yes. No. So I think, oh, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who could, who think like they they might not do the sommelier course because they don't want to work as a sommelier. But I think you learn a lot. Mm. And even if if we, of course, uh, here studied mainly Italian wine and grapes, but still you, you do like a, also a study of, of the whole world. Of course, it's very quick, but still you get an overview. Um, so I think you get a really good base then of course you have to work on it yourself to learn more (laughs) if you want to and also to which area to focus on and um, but I think the sommelier course is really good if you're interested in wine it can be really really fun too I think uh, this because there's also of course different sommelier associations in Italy because there's never one thing there's Mm -hmm. always a lot the one I did with is actually they started having a bit younger uh, approach. So the people who were kind of uh, involved in the organization were a bit younger when I started. So we had a lot of fun. It was a bit less pretentious. And I think that's kind of really what it's about, right? We want to have people interested and delighted and having fun and enjoying wine. So I love that you shared that. Katarina, thank you so much. This is like a nice little oh, short, thank you. I mean, short I course. I was you. like, I have to go back and take notes and find those wines. So thank you. <laughs> Wow, thank you. Thanks for listening to an Invino Fab and Telesom production, The Smalliest Stories, Uncorking Wine Tales. If you liked this episode, tell a friend to subscribe and leave us a rating review in Apple Podcasts. Telesom brings the psalm to you. 
Check us out online at telesom.app or on Instagram at telesom.app. We can't wait to meet you.